Welcome to Spiro Avenue. And now, your host, Justin Spiro. Welcome back to Spiro Avenue. Justin Spiro in studio live with Jag in Detroit, our producer, and a highly distinguished guest, Chris Castellani, a Twitter-famous individual. Chris, welcome back. It's great to have you. Well, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate the intro. Uh, happy to be here, dude. Uh, like I said earlier, uh, talking talking about how terrible the Tigers are is becoming a pastime at this point, so I'm looking forward to it. It's a full-time job with plenty of material. Yeah. Before we get to that, let's talk about the real reason we're here. Why do you think Emma Stone is the hottest woman in Hollywood? <laughs> okay, well, look, I've softened on it a little bit. I, I mean, first of all, this is, I'm sure, a very interesting topic that a lot of people want to hear about, but I... Uh, no, I don't know. I, I've had a crush on Emma Stone for a long time. I feel almost a sense of pride because, like, way back, I'm talking, like, you know, before my balls dropped when I was, like, 12 and 13, I reviewed movies on YouTube. I think I saw a movie with her in it, and I basically made a prediction, like, she's going to be a big star, and now she's, like, an Academy Award winner, so I feel like I feel like the reverse of the old takes exposed guy. I feel I've, I take a great sense of pride with that. You're taking pride in it. You were on the Stone train early. I, I, I really was, yeah. I was the person who saw the prospect in, in single A and said, you know what, they're going to break the home run record. She's like the Derek Jeter of Hollywood where, like, she is good, but she's not as good as people think, but she's just been, like, in the right situation over and over again. And, she's consistent, like Jeter. I'm not saying Jeter's bad, but everyone was like, Derek Jeter was never one of the best three or four shortstops playing. Like, he was worse than Garcia Parra. Worse Noma! Than, worse than A-Rod. You know, worse than Miguel Tejada. But, like, you know, he was in New York and he was around great teams. Anyway, speaking of baseball, the main reason you're here is not Emma Stone. It's the Detroit Tigers, who just wrapped up as of – the beginning of this recording, uh, their 100th game, and they are a pitiful 30 and 70, which is only three games off the 2003 Tigers' pace. That team, of course, landed on 119 losses, the worst record in Major League Baseball history, except an expansion team in New York known as the Mets. I've always said that 03 Tigers team should be considered the worst team ever because they were not an expansion team. They've been around for 100 years. The fact that a a group of ragtag losers from New York that were thrown together in an expansion draft lost 120 games should not take that title from the Tigers. That team was the worst ever. This year's team, though, is in legitimate contention to take the crown as the worst baseball team ever assembled. And this is a sport that is older than dirt. It is a a sport that's 120 years old. It's the oldest sport. It's America's pastime. Whether or not it's number one in the ratings anymore, this is still the oldest sport we got. And to be the worst ever in that would be quite an accomplishment. Let's start right away, Chris. Do they get it done? Do we see 119, 120 losses from this year's Tigers team? I do. Like, I, and I've... I've Fought it. I've gone back and forth, but I'm at a point now. Like, I, yeah, I actually do see this team losing 121 games just because they have to, in order to, you know, to not, you know, break that record, they have to win 12 games. They're about to trade unless Avila does something just impossibly stupid, which he's, you know, he's very capable of doing. They're about to trade their three best players with the with that roster. Even with those three guys, I don't know if there's 12 wins there without them. I mean, they're playing. I brought this up the other day. They're playing teams since the All Star break that aren't good. They've played the Royals. They've played the Mariners. They've played the Blue Jays. Three teams that are going to have top ten picks. You know, several of them probably top five picks. 
and they've gotten they've gotten killed by by all of them. I mean, they're, they're losing at a historical pace. They are the 3 team with that somehow got off to the flukiest of fluky starts ever by somehow starting things out eight and four. And, you know, the thing that people forget about that 3 team, as bad as they were from beginning to end, they actually won five of their last six games to avoid that dubious 120 mark. Right. And even with winning five of six right at the end, they still set the record for the American League and set the non-expansion team record. But the point being, their best month, even before that last week when they got you know relatively hot, was September. It was at the end. I don't see how this group has their best baseball ahead of them when presumably at least a couple of these contributors are going to be gone. Nick Castellanos will be traded for a box of popcorn. I'm not saying we're going to get anything good for him, but he's gone. I mean, that, that guy is gone. I, I don't care if you trade him uh, for a single-way reliever that's getting bombed every night. I mean, you just you have to get something for him. So he's gone, and he's been the best hitter, him and you know Brandon Dixon. <laughs> hey, don't be mean to Dixon. No, you're right. You're Dixon's right. got like a 790 OPS. Right, which for this team is, you know, M- Miggy in his prime. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's all they got. So Cassianos is gone. I, I think Shane Green is probably gone. There's a lot of teams bidding on him by all reports. I'm not so sure about Matt Boyd. We'll get to that in a minute. Mm-hmm. But the point is, the 03 Tigers had to just pull out of their ass and escape from the dubiousness of that record. I don't see that happening with this team. I think this team played their best baseball in April and you know right at the beginning of May when they were 18 and 20 in the first 38 games, which is not bad. I mean, it's good, but you know you're hovering around 500. They shot their wad early. That was they're not going to play at around a 500 clip for a month and a half you know, right. going forward. So if they are just barely behind that pace of that 03 team, and they already had their their good run. That's where I start to buy into it. Now, it is hard to do, but the reason I have faith is this. You mentioned one point. They're losing the terrible teams right after the break. I mean, they're getting bludgeoned to death. But look at the the run differential. The thing that you look at with teams on losing streaks, whether you're a good team, bad team, or somewhere in between, is your record in one-run games. That's something that statisticians believe will eventually kind of even out. Right. This team isn't losing by one run or two runs. Every single game is like nine no. to two. Yes, yeah, no, and even when they were eight and four, I think their run differential was significantly in the minus. Like, which is part of the reason why any any sane person knew they were going to come back down to earth and probably crash back down to earth. Uh, no, you're you're absolutely right. These aren't these are games that are over in the third inning. Like, this is not <laughs> this is not entertaining baseball or competitive baseball in the slightest. I, yeah, I saw a thing on, on Twitter, it was four or five days ago, but I'm sure it's still accurate, that the Tigers have been the second worst uh, money line bet in Vegas this year, which is like almost impossible because they're they're plus like 280 every single game. Right. So basically, like if you bet $100 on every single team for every single one of their games just on the money line, the team is, is a heavy, heavy underdog getting a massive payout whenever they do win, and they're still like one of the two or three worst bets in Vegas. Like it's just yeah. oh, it's almost impossible. Like the year the Lions went 0 16, they actually went like nine and seven against the spread or something. Did or, they really? That's or funny. nine, nine, six and one or something like that. They actually had a winning record against the spread. So like even though that team went 0 16, like if you bet them every game, you actually won money, which is kind of funny. The Tigers, Vegas can't adjust for them. They're trying to, they're begging you, begging you. 
to take the Tigers. Here, we'll give you a plus 325. Insane odds for a baseball game. Theoretically, they're putting you know 25 major leaguers against 25 major leaguers. Should not be paying out 3.5 to 1 unless it's Kershaw against like me when Kershaw was humming. It, you can't adjust for them. They are unspeakably bad. You you said every game is over like in the third inning. Yes. Isn't it funny? Like if you miss, let's say you know the Tigers' first pitch is at seven oh five most nights, which it happens to be. You know, I put my daughter down to bed at seven, so like I, you know, we go through our little nighttime routine. By the time I like check my phone or check the score, it's usually like bottom of the second, top of the third. You know, we do our thing. It's always like five nothing. Right. I, it, there's just it, they're dead on arrival. Right. Which and, and one thing I brought up today uh, is that. Like, they don't have any redeeming qualities. Like, there's bad teams in baseball right now. There's some really bad teams in baseball. Like, the Orioles, for a long time, we the kind of the thing was who's going to get the number one pick. To me, that's locked up. Like, the Orioles are 12-11 and 11 in their last 23. Obviously kind of fluky, but they're getting better. The Tigers, it, there's not one guy that you could probably point to on this team. Maybe Shane Green, I guess, that you could say, all right, he, he's significantly had a much better season, or he's significantly stepped up. Every single signing they've had has been a disaster. Every young guy that they thought was going to maybe step up and be something, for the most part, has been a disaster. I mean, there is Every single surprise has been on the negative side for this team. And, and that was – it's such a good point. And I talked about it a little bit, too, like on a Periscope about a month ago, where the comparison, it's natural to go constantly back to that 0-3 team, and I'll do it again. Mm-hmm. Dimitri Young, who made the All-Star team that year, was one of the best hitters in baseball. Had a 900-plus OPS, yeah, I believe. It was, like yeah. nine, it was like 930, yeah. 920 or 930. He was one of the best you know, 12 hitters in baseball that year. So as bad as they were, it's like, oh, you know, maybe if the leadoff guy gets on, you know, Dimitri will come up with a guy on. Like, we got something going here. The, the highlight of this team is Castellanos and, and Dixon, who are like, Maybe the fifth best hitter on a good team, like I mean, maybe yeah. Like where where would they be? I mean, it's it's an extreme example, but like the Twins, Red Sox, Astros, they'd be like the seventh best guy on that team right. on any of those teams. So uh, your point is well taken. There's not one like thing to stick to, and I you know the example I always bring up is the White Sox. Who I mean, granted they're nowhere near uh, in the tank the way the Tigers are, but you know they they slipped. They had a, a feisty first half, and now they're kind of falling mm-hmm. apart. But the White Sox have literally seven players under 25 that are better than anything the Tigers have at any age. Yeah. I mean, you know, Eloy Jimenez, uh, Yon Moncada, Kopech, who's, you know, recovering from surgery, Dylan C., struggling a little bit, but still a top prospect that throws 100 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. It, it was had a very good year. And the know. best of all of them is uh, Luis uh, Robert, mm-hmm. who's in AAA. I call him the Cuban Mike Trout. Uh, he's got a 1,400 OPS in AAA right mm-hmm. now. He's only not up right now. It's the Vlad Guerrero Jr. thing, mm-hmm. service time manipulation. But the point is, the White Sox, that they stink. I mean, they're 15 games below 500, but they have seven, eight guys that are better than anything we have. I mean, I grew up, the Tigers were terrible, but Higginson had a couple years, 900 OPS, won a gold glove. You know, Tony Clark hit 38 bombs. Uh, you know, there was always kind of like something to glom onto. Mm-hmm. That that ain't here. There's nothing here. There's our, nothing. Our glomming is like looking at double A box scores. Pretty much. And even even those at this point haven't been nearly as positive we, as we expected. Like I was MLB Pipeline released their their new top 100 prospects list and the, the Tigers have three guys in the top 100. Which, 
I mean, not great, but you have Mize, obviously, number one pick last season. Manning, who's probably been the one, if there's one guy you can say the Tigers have done a good job of developing so far, it would probably be Matt Manning. Riley Green, who just got drafted, who hasn't played a meaningful game of baseball yet, really, in his life. After that, you have several guys whose stock has dropped since they joined the organization. Daz Cameron's stock has dropped. Uh, uh, Paredes was in the top 100. He's dropped. Fieda was in the top 100. He's dropped out. Franklin Perez was in the top 100. He's dropped out. Obviously, injuries are a big part of that. Uh, but the only guys that you can say whose stock has gone up since be you know really having uh, people really started to have eyes on them since they've been in the Tigers organization has been Scooball. And uh, and maybe Jake Rogers. I mean, who's not great, but he's, he's heating up. He's yeah, heating up he's gotten AAA. his stock has has risen, I mean, which to me shows that there's there's a, not only an issue with the the product they're putting out in the field in in at Comerica, which we knew would be bad. I don't think we knew it would be this historically awful, but we knew coming into the season it wasn't going to be pretty. But the farm system isn't nearly what they want us to believe it is, and it's really it's probably the third or fourth best in their own division. At this point, I, I mean, the White Sox, obviously, the Twins, Indians are still doing a fairly good job. I mean, the, the Royals just have a few guys and Brady Singer and Bobby Witt Jr. Like, there's not a ton here even for the future. And that's why I think this is maybe not a worse team than 03, but a worse season to me because the outlook is so bleak for the future. If we, if there were seven or eight guys down in the minors that we could point to and say they got some superstars, it'd be one thing. But success seems so far away at this point. Look, I, you know, I'm friendly with some of those guys over at Bless You Boys, and I, I think you are too. I mean, really only one of them. I, I like uh, Hookslide, mm-hmm. uh, good guy, and is going to be joining us at some point in the future. But what their line is, and it's really the company line, and this is something Chris Illich just talked about recently, is, okay, we, we knew this was going to be bad. We all, we all knew that going in. But look at the prospects coming up. Look at the farm system. Look at what Alavil has done. And when we are ready to spend and these guys are coming up and they're starting to home, we add a couple more draft picks, Avila is going to plug the holes. He's going to fill it in. The problem with that is we've already seen what Alavila does in times of an economic surplus where he has money to spend. He gave us Jordan Zimmerman, who has a legitimate argument for the worst contract in Detroit sports history. Not Detroit baseball history. Detroit sports history. It's up there. I would challenge someone to give me a worse one. Because if you want, some people, you know, when I asked this question recently, some people threw out Miguel Cabrera. Cabrera was defensible because at least you got a couple good years out of him. And it was, you know, by all accounts, Mike Gilich basically came out and said it. It was a thank you contract. It was stupid. I'm not defending it. It's probably still on the top five. I mean, it might be the second worst contract ever. Not def- <laughs> not defending it, but at least there's something you can say where, okay, he hit for two years of it. And the year before Miggy got his big deal was, if not the Triple Crown year, I believe another year where he won the MVP. Zimmerman in 2015, the year right before they signed him, had a significantly weaker season than he did the year before. And the signs that he was on the decline were already there. Velocity was down, strikeouts were down, the ERA was up, his record was worse, it, it, war was down, it, he pitched fewer innings. I mean, everything across the board showed this is a guy who's probably a weaker pitcher than he was even a few years ago. And they still gave him that deal. That's why, yeah, that has to be number one. I, it's just, they've got nothing out of it. They had a good April in the first year of that contract. He was <laughs> unreal. Yeah. He was pl- player, pitcher of the month. Yeah. yeah. He was like 5-0 and oh and had like a one, 1.03 mm-hmm. ERA or so. He's just unhittable for that first month. And I was skeptical about the signing at first. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, maybe he's figured out yeah, how to pitch. Yeah. You know, the velocity's down, but maybe yeah. he's, fi- he's found something. Maybe 
2015 was a fluke. Yeah. 2015 was not a fluke. It was a harbinger of things to come. It reminded me of when we traded for Miguel Cabrera and Dontrell Willis, and Willis had just like a mess of a year. His ERA was like five in 08, I believe. Seven. 08 was the trade was, for the Marlins in 07. His oh, really? ERA, okay. his ERA, yeah, because Cabrera and Willis' first year with Detroit was 08. Mm-hmm. Uh, 07 was the Sheffield year. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so, and, and Dombrowski gets Dontrell Willis and immediately gives him a big, you know, three year extension, like 15 million a year, which at the time was a lot, right. not so much now. Uh, and it's like, the guy's got diminishing stuff. What are you doing? The Zimmerman thing, it's like, I'm okay signing him, but not at that money, $25 million a year. So that was his his big heralded signing. He signed Mike Pelfrey, inexplicably gave him a second year. I understood the argument, even though I didn't agree with it. Okay, we need a fifth starter. The guy throws like 190 innings every year. We've seen an innings eater. It's the fifth starter. Calm down. Like, it's not a big deal. I get that. Why was he signed for a second year? What leverage did that guy have? He stunk, and he stunk when he got here. So, so far we've got Jordan Zimmerman getting uh, literally the worst contract in Detroit sports history. That's on Avila. we got Mike Pelfrey, who I don't believe any other team in the league would have given a second year to. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. At $8 million a year, too, mm-hmm. which is, you know, again, four or five years ago worse than it would be even today. And then Mark Lowe. Mark Lowe was one of the worst signings that was under $10 million a year I've ever seen. A terrible reliever that was getting knocked around. He had he was coming off a good year but had been shit the three years prior. It's like, you're going to bank on that? So we've seen Avila with money. We've seen Avila be told, okay, you have J.D. Martinez, you have Verlander, you have Cabrera, who was still good at the time. You know, you have these great pieces. You know, go get the last two or three. And that's what he came right. up with. He did... In fairness, sign Upton, which wasn't, I mean, in in hindsight, not a terrible signing, a bad time for the signing because the team was on the decline. But I, I mean, that was probably the biggest deal he gave out, and it was it was whatever. Upton was good, but uh, Upton was it's a layup though. I mean, he was he was one of the best three free agents on the market. Anyone would have paid him, and and. Vio was given the blank checkbook. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, you're right. I guess you do have to put that on the ledger. Let's also not forget that Justin Upton, it, it, people tend to forget that he was a disappointment in his first year in Detroit. Oh, just, massive just until look, September. Yeah, yeah, just look at the numbers. I mean, yeah, yeah the, the guy got on fire when the season was over. So mm-hmm. it's okay. So I, even that isn't like a great signing. Right. But the point is, on balance, overwhelmingly, it is a bad resume in times of uh, ample money being available to him. So even if all this stuff works out, everything goes right, all these guys develop. Now we're going to go spend. He still ain't proven that he's the right guy to do that job either. Right. And, and I, there's still, inexplicably to me, there's still, I get a fair amount of Avila defenders on my Twitter feed which who use the argument of he overpaid these guys simply because it, it was essentially Mike Illich's, Illich's dying wish that he, and he took Al Avila's hand and said, please bring me a World Series, which that's, that's movie shit. Like, like, I think, yeah, I think in reality, he probably said, hey, look, blank check, go out and sign whoever you want. But if, and let's say hypothetically that was the case, he could have signed good players. He, he could have signed guys who could pitch. And so I, I, I don't believe that. And that does, exactly, that does make me worry that, because I think ultimately in two years, I don't see the farm system getting significantly better. I think ultimately in two years, what's going to happen is they're going to try to buy their way out of this and, and splurge and spend a bun- and overpay a bunch of guys, which will probably end up turning into another disaster. There's a lot of people that don't think that's going to happen, that have no faith that Chris Illich will ever spend. All I can tell you is what Chris Illich tells the public 
and what Alvio has told the public is exactly in lockstep with what Chris Illich has told members of that organization privately. I have two close members of that uh, organization and that coterie that I talked to that have made it very clear that Chris Illich has laid down the map and their plan is to start spending like big, not just you know start spending a little bit, going after marquee guys no later than 2022 and possibly 2021 if the team's prospects are developing well enough. That's what they're telling people in their organization privately. So their story matches up. But eventually, uh, unless the world ends, those days are going to come and we're going to find out. I mean, I, I think time will tell is the laziest thing you can say as a, you know, a journalist. It's like, no shit. Like, yeah, <laughs> what kind of an analysis is that? Time will tell. Yeah, yeah thanks. But that's really where we're at. I mean, mm-hmm. we just – I. but do you believe that he's going to spend? Apparently you do. You have more faith than I do because you said that's where they're going to go. I think they'll spend. I'm not saying they'll spend well. How just, did that District Detroit go for you, Chris? They said they were going to spend big on that. Did you buy that? Because I did. They fooled me once. They, we've already heard them make promises about we're going to spend. Just wait. Just wait. Just stick with us. Show us a little faith. We've already seen that, and we got burned. We got 87 and a half parking lots in Detroit. Some good-looking parking lots, though. They're beautiful. They're fantastic. Yeah. They are really nice. The That's, line spacing is just really crisp. and. You know what's really funny when you look at the artist renderings that they were you know, pitching to the Detroit uh, you know, mayor, uh, Dugan, and uh, they were pitching to the, the Detroit City Council. You, you look at that versus like what it actually is. The contrast is absolutely hilarious. And that you'll never convince me that that wasn't a deliberate fraud. They had no intention of of meeting that uh, ambitious goal. I, I just don't believe it. I don't see any evidence for it. They have the money. They could do it tomorrow. They're squatting on that land, and there's no other way. It is fraud. <laughs> if you go before the city council and say, look, you give me this $265 million in tax money, this is the vision that we're going to deliver for you. And you do none of that after the check clears. What am I supposed to make of that? Apparently you have more faith in Chris Illich. Though. So you think, you believe that Chris Illich is going to spend in a couple years. I I think the fan outcry will be so much that they will have to spend. Like I said, I have zero faith that they're going to like, you know, spend money you know, smartly. Like they're not going to be like the twins who signed, you know, Cruz and Scope and uh, they made one other signing as well that I, that I can't think of. Uh, uh, Marwin Gonzalez for nothing. You know, I think they'll probably they're probably going to find that one guy that they're going to try to splurge and overpay. I mean, ideally, you would think it would be somebody like Mookie Betts. But why? At this point, the other thing that people have kind of forgotten about at this point, who wants to play in Detroit? And, and that that's why we talk about a lot of people bring up. Well, the 2003 team was in the World Series three years later. How about one year later? Right after that season, that historically terrible season, Dombrowski pulled off a, a signing that I don't think we would will ever see again. A guy in Pudge Rodriguez going from a world championship team, an MVP caliber player, signing with a team that just had one of the worst seasons ever. They also snagged, I think, Guillen that same offseason. Like, I don't see Avila doing anything like that in this offseason. How much I, of that was that Marlins fire sale, though? I mean, whenever they win, they just every they just blow the whole thing up. Well, yeah, well, Pudge, but Pudge, Pudge was, was a free agent, agent though. Yeah, uh, so, so right. and so they, they not only threw money at him, but he, Dombrowski got him to believe that there was something building there after what was a... a oh, a, that's, that's a bunch of bullshit. Chris, you're too smart to think that. I don't know. Are you, you saying it was mainly money? Or, I'm I saying mean, it was entirely money. I know you were like probably two years old when they signed right. him. But the reason Pudge Rodriguez signed in... 
Detroit was, and this is something people forget. It wasn't this whole narrative of uh, he was coming to deliver a winner to the city. That's how. Well, no, I don't the, think he cared. Hallmark just... bullshit. He signed for that money because he had a significant back injury that was coming up on his medicals. It was a lumbar spine injury that was so bad that as shitty as the Tigers were, even they got language in the contract that they could get out of the contract entirely if he missed it. I can't remember the amount of games, but it was like you know 20 games or 30 games or something with, a, with that injury in particular. They had an out clause, which a Scott Boris client going to sending one of the marquee players in the league to a 119 loss team would never give if they had any choice. So he was coming here because they were the only team offering big money for more than two years. It, you know, it's something that blew up on me on the time, but uh, I had it on pretty good authority that he was going to go to the Mariners, and that bounced because of the medicals coming up. And that later he signed with the Tigers with that uh, out clause tied to his injury. I, so, I honestly don't remember that, so I stand corrected there. I. I, I do not remember that. It, he was here because it was he was paid top dollar, and they were the only team willing to give him more than two years. It was because of that lumbar issue. So even that was started. But you you brought up the the, the key point. Everyone talks about budgets, like yeah, but what about the Polanco trade? Which right. they stole Polanco. They stole. Car- they traded Juan Gonzalez for Carlos Guillen. Not that Juan Gonzalez. Right. <laughs> I, you know. So I mean, there were a number of things. The Kenny Rogers signing was that off season too, and, and was great. They had just overpaid Maglio Ordonia. Same thing as the Pudge thing. That was in 05 the year before, but where he had significant injury concerns and they were the only team willing to pony up. The point is, there were a number of things that went on, and Dave Dombrowski, for all of his critics, is still, for my money, one of the best four or five general managers in all of baseball. The resident Red Sox fan here would probably agree with that at the current moment, at least last year. Well, they're the reigning champions, so yeah, that's a The Detroit Red Sox. Yeah, the, or, was it, or was it the Boston Tigers? I forget. You're welcome. Yeah. So thank you. Th- the point is, you don't have Dave Dombrowski. You don't have one of the best three, four, five general managers, Brian Savian. You don't have that a- anymore. Right. You have one of the worst. So even if the ambition is going to be, oh, we're going to spend, we're going to spend. Chris Illich is not Mike Illich, where he's looking at uh, the twilight of his life and, oh, I'm coming up on 80. Let's spend, spend, spend. So even if he does spend, I don't think it would be to the degree his dad did. But even if he does, the guy that's making the decisions is not half the GM that Dave Dombrowski was. I have no faith that even if Chris Illich keeps his word that it's going to go well, as long as is here. And apparently he got the ultimate vote of confidence because he got extended uh, 18 months before his contract expired, despite no evidence that he's done anything well since he's been here. The, the only thing that you can point to and say, okay, maybe that was a positive it was drafting Mize, which, like you said about the Uptons, well, that's a layup. I mean, you, to take the best player Doesn't available. Count. Right, exactly. Uh, but I, I think, and this is me trying to get inside their you know, delusional mind, I think they believe that that, that was some, some sort of a, amazing move. It, and, it, I'm sorry, but it, it, and I know you're not saying it, but this is something that's out there. If you think that the Casey Mize draft pick was a, a great move by Avila, you're probably floored by the genius of Gordon Gund for telling the team to pick LeBron James in 2000. Exactly. I, it, it's like, congratulations, you right. were the worst team at the right time? That means nothing to me. Like, literally nothing. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm trust me, I'm, I'm with you on that. Like, I have, I don't think that there's a move Avila, like, of all the moves Avila's made, 
there's there's definitely not one you can say was a substantial home run. But what's one you could point to and say that was a a, a mi- minor hit? Like that was that was an okay. There's one I can point to, and it's still unproven. But it was the the Justin Wilson, Alex Avila for uh, uh, Paredes and, and Jamer. And Jamer's, you know, whatever. But you know, he's probably not very good. I still think he could be okay. But besides that, they haven't had one move. Like the the dude, the White Sox traded. What was it? Sale for. Uh, was it Kopech? They got Kopech and Moncada. That's unbelievable. Like, and I think, and obviously, Sale was in a different time in his career than somebody like Verlander was. But they got more talent in that in that trade than the Tigers have gotten in five or six. I've always said, and and this was on my Twitter account constantly during that time, that I would have called Boston and been like, "Hey, we'll give you JD and Verlander for just one of those two guys." And my logic was, you know, sale contract being different aside, being a few young, younger uh, years younger than Verlander aside, if the Red Sox were willing to give up Moncada and Kopech for just Chris Sale, they would probably be willing to give up one of those two for Verlander and J.D. Martinez. Right. I, I mean, it, they would. I, I'm, I'm, they just would. Because if they're willing to give up two for one marquee guy, they'll be willing to give up one for two. Like, obviously. So whatever difference between Sale and Verlander there may be and may have been at that time, it would have more than been made up for the fact that they're only giving up one of those two A-listers instead of both of them. And, oh, by the way, they're getting J.D. Martinez for their pennant run uh, that year. And then they were in the thick of it at the time. Right. So, you know, the whole thing has been mismanaged. I want to talk a little bit about Matt Boyd. This is something that I get killed for. I, I, I think I'm a little bit, uh, maybe not totally on an island. Maybe it's an island, but there's like eight other people with me. I'm not totally alone. Are you on a peninsula? Like it's still just barely connected? Let's do that. Peninsula. We'll roll with that. You know, we're in Michigan. That works. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I'm on a peninsula with like six, seven, eight other guys tops about Matt Boyd. I don't see it. I see what he's done this year. I, I I've enjoyed his work for the most part. The thing is, we get so obsessed with these advanced stats. And I'm a proponent of sabermetrics. I'm not like a dinosaur with this stuff. I, I think there's a lot of value in it, and I think baseball is 50 years behind the curve. I'm not anti-sabermetrics. But it can go too far in the other direction, where I have to read about Matt Boyd having an ERA damn near seven up in those last start, in the, the last seven starts. And it's okay because... Oh, he has a, an abnormal batting average against him, batted uh, balls in play. That's one of the worst stats in all baseball. Oh, when they hit him, they hit him really, really hard. Yeah, that's a bad thing. Right. <laughs> there, there's a little bit of luck involved in like, oh, you get some blue pits, they hit him where they ain't kind of thing. There, there's an element of that. I'm not excusing that completely. But he was giving up a lot of tanks. He was giving up a lot of home runs. Yeah, was, that's my point. He's giving up missiles every single game, two, three home runs for the last two months. And everyone's like, oh, well, he's, he's unlucky with that batting average against the ball's batting in play. What the fuck are you talking about? Hey, he's hitting into the 17th row uh, in left field. Yeah, they're having a lot of success when they hit it in play. <laughs> they're hitting it. They're hitting it uh, almost out of the stadium. The guy, the guy's been a rocket launcher. So, so great. He gives up four hits. Two of them are homers. Like, and he has five innings, four runs. He has not been sharp for two months. He just hasn't. He had a good start last. He scuffled at the beginning, but got out of it and settled down. 
He's been basically mediocre for two months. I don't care about the strikeouts. The strikeouts are like a little cherry. They're a nice thing to have. But if you're giving up two, three bombs a game, they don't matter. So my point is he's having a career year, even with all this stuff aside, the recent struggles aside. And we have no reason to believe this is sustainable. Maybe it did click for him at 29-30. I'm not saying there's no chance it didn't. You know, it did click for him. Maybe it did. But I, these people that are so sure this is a guy you can't trade, he's a guy that's going to be here for three, four years, and he's, he's a cornerstone ace of the – what? Makes no sense to me. It's never made any sense because – and Matt Boyd, he's, he's all right. He's, he's okay. I mean, like, he's – yeah, he's had a good year. But, like, in general, his track record isn't very good. Like, he's really his, – his career ERA is poor. And obviously, you know, his first couple of years he was figuring it out, you know, which is, which is fine. He's been better this year, but, yeah, I mean – his ERA is, I think, in the it might be in the low th- or a high threes now. I think it's in the in the low fours. Yeah, low fours. Right, and I do think you know him going to another team. I think he'd pitch some good baseball. But like uh, to me, like, and this I've gotten in this argument with Castellanos too about you know players you give extensions to. Like to me, I, especially if your team's gonna suck, like you give an extension to a guy who's like potentially generational. Like, you give, like, what the Astros have done. Like, they've taken all their really good players and said, all right, Bregman, you're staying. You know, they're going to try to work out something with Cole. They have with Altuve. I'm sure they're going to work out something with Springer. Like, I don't see Boyd. Yeah, he's the Tigers' ace, which in 2019 means nothing. That means you're the fourth-best pitcher on a on a good team. I, I, I don't, yes, I, so I've, I've never really seen what some people see. I think he's good. He's, he's solid. I think he'll go somewhere. He'll pitch some good baseball. He'll probably put up. Maybe the strikeouts, maybe not, but probably better numbers than he has in Detroit. But, I mean, the potential return you could get for him, while it's not amazing, I mean, even if, if you extend him and he pitches the best baseball of his career, so what? So what? The team's still going to lose 90 games a year. And what's the point? Just so you can try to trade him again with a worse contract? No one is saying he sucks. I mean, that's, that's you know, and there'll be some jackass out there that thinks that's the takeaway, and that's not the takeaway. No one is saying he sucks. He's been good. And even in the past, he was a solid, you know, fourth or fifth starter. The problem is we've seen this movie in this sport before. Ubaldo Jimenez is one of the best pitchers in baseball for a year. The rest of his track record a little bit shaky, sure enough. Guy tanked when he came to the American League. Mm-hmm. Jeremy Bonderman here in Detroit, always hyped up, had good stuff, threw hard, had one like really good year. The rest of his body work, ERAs in the high four. Jeff Samarja, I feel Samarja, like he's kind of another one. Samarja probably had two or three yeah, he was better solid, years yeah. than anything I've Boyd had before this year. Yeah, but it, yeah, that works too. The point is there. There's a million guys that have had one or two really strong years not like as a rookie i mean like suddenly they popped in year four five six mm-hmm. it was like what the f- where did that come from you know even like jared washburn who tanked when the tigers got him but out of nowhere before he was traded here had an era of like 240 and i mean he had been a credible major league pitcher before but he was a guy that was always like kind of a fourth or fifth guy suddenly as the year of his life guy sucked every year after that i mean the point is it's an endless list of guys that have popped for one year matt boy didn't pop at 24 25 he popped at 29 i don't know how sustainable this is the fact that we're treating him as a fan base and as an organization like he's this golden goose if i were an opposing general manager I'm not giving the moon for the guy. I would trade for him if I had an opening in my rotation. I would give a good prospect for him. But the report that the Tigers demanded of the Yankees, Glaber Torres, an already established budding star, a guy who, who is a better, a more valuable player than Matt Boyd. 
I mean, even on Boyd's best day, like that you're losing that trade if you do a one for one. He's better right now, right? Exactly, and he's like six, seven years younger. It, 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 the point is, look, I've always said when people criticize the returns, oh, on a trade, oh, we could have gotten more, we could have gotten more. As much as I don't like Alvila, I'm pretty sure he's not saying, oh. Uh, the, the Rangers are going to give me this great package? No, no. Abafangu, uh, I'm going to go call the Orioles and take a shit package. Like, right. I'm sure Avila is taking the best he can get. The only time I really had an issue was with the J.D. Martinez thing where it's like you traded him three weeks early. Worst, for it. worst like, trade ever. If you're going to go down, at least like go down at the end with a shit package. Right. And there have been other issues, too. I wanted to trade Michael Fulmer before his arm fell off. Like, So I've had plenty of issues. But like the return, you know, he got killed for the Cubs trade. He got killed for the Upton trade, and it's like I'm pretty sure he did the best he could. But I, so with that caveat that we don't really know what these teams are offering, if, if it turns out that we hold on to Matthew Boyd because somebody offered us like a single top 25, top 30 prospect and like a low A guy, and we didn't take it because we demanded more, if that like report comes out, Buster only tweets that, I'm going to be furious because if you turn down. I'm not saying give them away, but it, it, you you have the leverage. But if you turn down adding a bona fide high-end prospect plus another little piece to this farm system to keep a guy that's going to be 30 soon and is having the year of his life who has no very little chance of being good when this team is good, I think that's unforgivable. And I'm starting to think that's where we're going to land. Do you think Matt Boyd gets traded in the next four or five days? Oh, my God. I mean, I for the sake of my sanity, I hope so. Like, I, I just can't. I don't know if there's another GM in the sport that doesn't trade him at this point. Like, I don't. He's not going to get that much better. And like you said, he's had close to the year of his life. You know, he's had a very good season for the most part. Maybe this is just me talking with my my heart and whatnot with my head. I do think he'll be traded. Like I do, I, I do actually think all three of the big potential trade pieces will be gone. Um, I, it's just a hunch. I think there's a lot of pe- there's so many people, so many suitors for Matt Boyd, and with um, the Giants inexplicably getting super hot and not trading Madison Bumgarner, uh, that's uh, the the market for a lefty starter uh, has been dwindled probably between him and Robbie Ray, and you know both. Uh, different pitchers, Robbie Ray more of a power guy, uh, both of them strikeout guys, Robbie Ray's command you know, needs work, but probably has more upside than Boyd. Uh, so I think the, the market will be there for someone to, to give you know, at least a solid enough return for Boyd. So I do think he'll be traded. I, I hope he is. I think he'll pitch some good baseball somewhere else, but they, they can't afford to screw this up. I mean, they, there's not a ton, much more tradable talent in this organization at this point, so they need to, they need to have success with these moves now. Uh, you know, I'm fine with them asking for Glaber Torres, even though it's insane. Uh, you know, it's all posturing. I like to give Avila at least a little bit benefit of the doubt on that. Um, but at the end of the day, and we'll find out here very soon, if it comes out that they held on to Boyd because no one offered them an already established 23-year-old superstar infield, middle infielder, I, it's going to be the worst thing Avila's done. I, and I, I, I can guarantee it's going to blow up. Matt Boyd it will not be this good next year if he stays in Detroit. Now, if he goes to like Houston for Kyle Tucker or something, 
and they get all their little robots that analyze his throwing right. motion, and, and they put him in the incubator and whatever the fuck they did to Verlander to make him so good. Or Morton or Cole. I mean, any right. of those. Yeah, <laughs> which I do think will happen. Like, I do think he'll pitch probably some better baseball with a me- you know when he's pitching meaningful games, but not much better. I mean, if he stays here in Detroit. He this will be the best year he's ever had. Yes, if that go, I agree with. If yeah. he goes to a better organization, I retract and everything's on the table. So, I think I've t- I think I've taken enough punishment talking about this team, Chris, uh, tonight. I you know I'll just put it this way in terms of the state of this franchise, they have a middle of the pack farm system, which is inexplicable for how bad they've been. They should be top five. And inexplicable for the amount of talent they've traded away. That too. Yeah. That for all the the major pieces they've given, they've traded multiple Hall of Famers, like not All Stars, Hall of Famers. <laughs> Verlander still under team control and paid a third of his salary, paid him to leave. Hall of Famer, first ballot. J.D. Martinez, like out of nowhere, is going to end up having a first ballot Hall of Fame type career. I mean, shit, Harold Baines is in the Hall. I, they've traded Hall of Famers and they don't have a, a good farm system. It, it, it's unfathomable. So the farm systems average at best. The major league product, the, there have never been more home runs in the history of the sport than this year. Yeah. And in that season, the Tigers won't have one guy hit 20. No. I, I, I mean, could you imagine what this team would be doing if the ball wasn't juiced? Which everyone knows it is. I mean, Verlander called out right. Rod yeah, Manfred for this. Can you imagine? This team is historically bad offensively, and they're juicing the baseball. I, I, I if that doesn't put this in perspective, how bad things would be if the league wasn't in there manipulating. Rob Manfred denied that they were deliberately juiced, but admitted that they have changed the manufacturing of the baseball. This isn't a, a 9-11 truther thing. We know it's true. And they still don't have one guy that's going to hit 20? It, this, how bad would it have been if this was five years ago, this roster, with the, with the old baseball? It, it's as bad as it gets. It's as bad as anything I've ever seen in Detroit. And I absolutely hate that we have to sit in here with a Red Sox fan to discuss this. And, of course, he's a jackass and has his Red Sox polo on. You are the defending World Series champions, after all. Yeah, well, you know, at least your baseball team's good because the other three teams are, oh, wait, they're all yeah, good, Yeah, I know, too. Boston's yeah. really had a rough go of things lately, <laughs> I, it's, haven't they? It's very depressing to me. I, I've come to, I think I said in the last episode, I've come to embrace the hate. I was really hoping at the outside shot for a four, you know, the four, the Grand Slam, all four at once, with Bruins made to game seven of the finals, and if the Celtics hadn't, you know, had Kyrie poison their chemistry, you know, they might have had a shot at a run, too. You weren't going to mess with the St. Louis Blues Gloria uh, karma. <laughs> it was too strong. Well, hang on. I, I despise Philly fans. I think Philly fans are the worst fans in the country. They're just terrible people. Other but, than the Michigan fans. But, well, I, yeah. Sorry, Chris. We'll get to that. Yeah. Now you're good. We'll get, we'll get there in a second. But for the Blues to steal a song from another city, like it was a rally cry at a Philly bar. Like, get your own thing, man. Come oh, on. There was one drunk guy in a Philly bar. It wasn't like it was. No, though, this whole crowd in South Philly at this bar would go nuts whenever the DJ played Gloria, and it was a thing, and it was a couple blues players that were in there on a night off, and they saw, this is cool, we should steal this. Why? Hey, it worked. I don't know what they did, but it worked. <laughs> hey, I mean, what, who are you to be immoral about this stuff? You're mad about stealing a song. You guys were sneaking in the practices at football games before the playoff games and uh, videotaping snap counts and shit. Allegedly. So, allegedly. 
allegedly. That's well documented. Yes. So it's 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 a nice pedestal you're on as a Patriots fan, the, the team that can't go like 500 days on the calendar without some type of controversy. It's like it's, it's every year to two years or something. Yeah, this year. is this is the world's smallest violin play yeah, just for well. you. <laughs> I, you know, whatever. I I'll own that because Detroit sucks right now. <laughs> so I got to get to this really quick. College football season coming up just over uh, a month from now. I'm not sure what to make of Michigan State football this year. Uh, it's a weird program. There have been years where I had no faith, like 2013 going in. I was so frustrated after 2012, and they went to the Rose Bowl and were one of the best teams in the country. We had the absolute disaster in 2017, and they came out and you know won nine games the next year. So our 2016 won nine games the next year. Very solid team. So you know. It, We've seen everything. I, I've been disappointed. I've been pleasantly surprised. I don't know what to make of this year's team. I know the defense is going to be great. But I was thinking about just the whole state of the state in general, and I can't remember another year where both coaches, the coach for the University of Michigan and the coach for Michigan State, had so much on the line in terms of legacy. I, I think it is, since I've been alive, the on balance greatest at stake collectively between the two programs. You have Mark D'Antonio, who had a disaster of a year a couple years ago, who just had this past season in 2018, one of the two or three best defenses in the country, objectively speaking, and they barely made a bowl game, and they got embarrassed in the bowl, couldn't get more than three first downs against Oregon, who was a mediocre defense all year. And all the cries for a change in the offensive coaching staff were unheeded. They didn't do anything. They brought everybody back and just kind of shuffled the deck a little bit. Okay, Brad Salem, you sit over there. Move down the hall. I mean, it's just a disaster. If Mark D'Antonio's team comes out and goes 7-5, and 8-4, and four, but they have like the best defense in the country, but they can't move the ball, it'll be an unforgivable sin. I don't care what D'Antonio's done. I'll never hate him. I'll always appreciate what he's done. I won't throw him overboard. But I'll be ready to start looking at the future of this program without them if they waste another elite defense. And a lot can happen. Maybe your quarterback goes down, you lose three guys. Okay, I won't blame them if they go 7-5. and five. But if this has a situation where we see one of the best defenses in the whole country again and the team stinks anyway, which will be the third time that's happened in the last seven years. It happened in 2012, it happened last year, and it would be in this scenario in 2019. you got to start looking at him real close. He's no longer safe in my book. Go down the street to Ann Arbor with Jim Harbaugh. He is uh, was a ballyhooed hire. He is one of the three or four most uh, well-compensated coaches in the country. And in four years, he has not even gotten to Indianapolis, let alone won the Big Ten title. He has not even been on the cusp of a Big Ten title. Now, you want to talk about the Ohio State thing, that's fine. You know, or the overturn or whatever, the lack of an overturn on the first down in Columbus, that's all fine. The point is he's never even been to Indianapolis in four years. If we're in a scenario where he is in year five, he is the consensus pick to win the conference. Ohio State's breaking in a new coach. No one else is really standing out. James Franklin's a boob. <laughs> if, if we're in year five... And Harbaugh still can't get to Indy. Doesn't mean he sucks. Doesn't mean he's a nightmare. Doesn't mean he's a disaster. We don't need to get into the crazy hyperbole that that people get into. But the hiring for what the intent was would be a failure. Okay, not not the coach, but the transaction 
with the coach would be a failure because you didn't pay him to go nine and three, ten and two, and split. You know, go two and two against the good teams every year. You didn't pay for that. So I can't remember a year in my lifetime where both had so much at stake. Where if Michigan State tanks and just stinks, D'Antonio will not be forgiven by a majority of this fan base. Thanks for all you did, but you won't be forgiven for that because we told you you needed to change the staff and you didn't do it. And for Harbaugh, this is where I want to bring Chris in because he's a diehard Michigan fan. But if I'm a Michigan fan, putting myself in your shoes, Chris, and I'm in year five and they don't get to Indianapolis, that for me is unforgivable as far as Harbaugh is concerned. With the one caveat, again, you could always have catastrophic injuries, and that's an asterisk, and that doesn't count. But if everything goes like relatively well, you don't, you're not on your third-string quarterback by week five. And you're not playing in, in, in I would say you have to even win in Indy. But if you yeah, if, I agree. People say, oh, he hasn't been. To, you know, get there and win. Don't get there so you can but, lose to Northwestern. But at or least shit. get there. I mean, right? Well, no, you're I, right. I, I, I agree. The bar should be to win. Right. But tell me where you're at. I know. I know you'll be disappointed in the season in a vacuum if you don't win the Big Ten. But talk about on a more macro level where you are. If we're sitting here, what eight months from now, six months from now, whatever it is. And you're on the couch watching Michigan State play Northwestern or you know, some shit for the big. It, it's it's not Michigan. Where where do you stand? Well, I mean, last year broke me to a major extent. I, I thought Michigan went about ten weeks where they were better than Ohio State. They got to the Ohio State and game and laid as big an egg as I've ever seen a sports team lay. I mean, not to say that uh, they were significantly better than Ohio State, but I. Just the way they folded was was just inexplicable. I mean, it was it was shocking. Uh, so this year, I mean, once again on paper they should they should win the Big Ten. I mean, despite what they've lost on defense, that's never really been an issue. I mean, they lost a bunch on defense after 2016. They still had a top five defense in the country. Don Brown, you know, for much like Harbaugh as well, lacked to you know perform in big games. Has put together a a juggernaut of a defensive unit pretty much every season. So I'm not really worried about that. Uh, I guess if if they get to a point where they lose to Ohio State again, or they they fall short of making uh, making it to Indy again, or winning the Big Ten again, it you would have to categorize the Harbaugh era up to that point. Now, obviously, that, he's not going to get fired. You know, I know there's people saying he's on the hot. He's not on the hot seat. They're going to let him at least go into the end of his contract. Uh, but it would you would have to categorize just based on a pass fail system. As as a failure through through five years, I think you could probably do it through four. With the way last year ended, I think you could probably say through four years, if you would have asked ninety percent of people if Jim Harbaugh was going to have a Big Ten championship by the time he got four years into his tenure at Michigan, most of those people would have said yes. So I, I think this is it's. I can't call it a make or break year because to me, a make or break year is one that could decide whether or not a coach gets fired he's not going to get fired but it is it is a legacy year i mean he is as far as uh, people who categorize him as an elite coach which i i don't even know if he's worthy of that label at this point but there are still those people who do i think if he doesn't get there this year with the you have the advantage of ohio of urban meyer being gone which i think is something that will always hurt his legacy the fact that that he was never able to get over the hump against Ohio State while Urban was there. With Michigan State scuffling offensively, with Penn State losing McSorley and, and James Franklin still a major question mark there, there's no team in the Big Ten that on paper should be better than Michigan. 
should make it to the playoff. Because to me, winning the Big Ten would be one thing. To me, I think you have to make the playoff at this point. Like, like I, I if they, because th- that means what losing one game and then you know making it in. If they, I would say if they go thirteen and one or twelve and one and miss the postseason, it'll be one thing. But I think at this point, the expectation is you got to win the Big Ten. You have to beat Ohio State. and You have to make the playoff. If not, it's time to start talking about this uh, this tenure being. I mean more of a failure than it was a success. And considering the expectations, it would be one of the biggest disappointments maybe in the history of, of college sports. I mean, no Chris, coach gonna, has ever had this type of hype. i got to jump in and ask you this. Which stings more as a Michigan fan, not making it to Indy these four years under Harbaugh or not beating Ohio State? Well, they're kind of one and the same, but to me, to me, not making it to Indy. Okay. Just because I, I think that you can – a lot can swing as far as recruiting and as far as legacy just by winning the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. And I think that, or just by making it to Indy. And I think that with Ohio State, uh, obviously those are games you want to win. But if there was a year where they came, you know, like 2016, where they, let's say they beat Iowa that year and then lose to Ohio State the way they did, and they end up winning the Big Ten and making the playoff, no one's, I mean, most people aren't talking about, you know, Harbaugh's tenure being a failure. They talk about the fact that he won the Big Ten, he did make the playoff one year or so. As much as they're kind of intertwined at this point, to me, not having, not being able to hang a banner, not being able to win a championship at this point in his tenure has been it has been a failure. And even just as a fan, like the, the indie thing, because Michigan State's been there three times. You know, they won twice, they lost on the last play of the game the third time. So I mean, it's it's just a fun weekend. Like, you know, win or lose, obviously you want to win, but just as a Michigan fan, it's just a fun thing to do. Like, and that's something you guys have been denied. Not obviously predating Harbaugh's days there. And I I totally agree with your point about the goal needs to be making the playoff. The Big Ten is like a really nice thing. It it depends in what context it comes, though. Like if you're 11 and 1 and you win the Big Ten and you're like, you're either in the playoff or maybe it's a weird year and you're the fifth and you get kind of, you have an argument for four, but the committee doesn't like you or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to like burn Harbaugh for that. But. It, you could go nine and three and win the Big Ten. I mean, it, exactly in some right. year. Like, what was the year? It was like Nebraska, Wisconsin, and Indiana. It was the year where Penn State and Ohio State were both. They were like eight and four. Like the they were sanctioned. <laughs> yeah. Like they had sanctions on them. That's and, right. And Wisconsin was like seven and five. Right. And then just came in and like with their third string quarterback and just steamrolled Nebraska. Yeah, yeah. I mean that was a particularly weird like anomaly with this. You know the program. Mm-hmm. You know sanctions. But it, you could still realistically go nine and three and win the Big Ten, and it's like. Okay, like, are we that excited about nine and three and going to play in the Peach Bowl? I, you know, I wouldn't be. Again, I can just put myself in your shoes. I agree with you entirely that Jim Harbaugh won't be fired. But the question I would have for you is Harbaugh has not lasted five years anywhere, any of his stops. This will be the longest he's ever been anywhere. His two college stops, his one NFL stop, never made it to year five. Let's say for whatever reason, and I don't think it'll happen, but let's say for whatever reason he leaves. Doesn't matter why. He's just he's gone. He goes to the NFL, he gets offered fifty million a year. I don't know. He's gone. Are you upset that he's gone if they go eight and four, nine and three, even ten and two, but don't get to Indy, and he leaves? Are you upset that he's gone? I won't be upset with him as a person necessarily. That's not what I but mean. I'll, as no, a but fan I will, of the program. I will look at what he at him as a coach completely differently and i will absolutely view his his time at michigan as a failure but will you consider it a big loss i know it'll be but you know let's say you don't know who the replacement is he announces he's leaving 
uh, on January 3rd, you know, you don't know who you're going to get. Are you thinking, oh, shit, Jim Harbaugh left? Are you saying, you know, you had five years to get it done and you didn't do it? Like, where, where do you stand if that happened? I will view it as a big loss simply for this reason, because the one thing that Harbaugh has brought to Michigan, while it hasn't been overwhelming success, he has brought consistency. They are relevant again. You know, and, and you could make the argument Michigan football being the brand it is is always was kind of semi relevant even when they were terrible. But he has he has made Michigan a you know, a brand, you know, at this point. And so losing him would be a big loss in the sense it hurts recruiting. It it hurts the you know, you never know who you're gonna get, who you're gonna bring in. I mean, everything seemed when he was hired like it was gonna be the perfect hire, like it was gonna be a match made in heaven. It hasn't. It still has the potential that it could be. But yeah, I I, I would view it as a loss just because there's always the uncertainty of you never know who you're gonna go out and get. We're coming for Paul Bunyan this year in Ann Arbor. That's all I'm gonna say, Chris. <laughs> I like our defense's chances against just about anybody. The offense, uh, hopefully they can score ten and keep us in the game. Uh, we'll move on. Uh, I'm excited for this college football season, just in general. I mean, not just for Michigan State. I don't know if I'm excited or not for that, but there's just nothing better. So it'll be interesting uh, in the Big Ten this year. Who knows? But I do think the stakes have never been higher collectively in this state. And I'm just excited for the, the theater of it. If both teams or one team is are great, cool. That's fun. If either one or both of them flames out, that's kind of interesting too. It's just it's the most at stake I can recall. So we'll move into our, our last segment here. This is something we like to do. We do a little, you know, things we like, things we don't like, good stuff, bad stuff. You know, I point out one thing that I liked that was going on in, in the world of Detroit or Michigan, Michigan State sports, and then we point out one thing that we don't like so much. The first thing, we'll get into the, the good first. Mike Lombardi, who's been an executive for the Browns, the Patriots, he's been kind of through the league, through the ringer, uh, currently unemployed, he's just doing a, a podcast, and he's an, a paid analyst now, has his podcast, and he had some interesting audio going after the Detroit Lions in regards to uh, their phoniness with the so-called Patriot way. He perceives it as a negative and went in uh, pretty bluntly. We have a, a couple clips from that, that podcast with Mike Lombardi, NFL analyst, former GM of the Browns, executive with the Patriots, Talking about Matt Patricia, the Detroit Lions going for the Patriot way in Detroit. Well, I, th- I think this. I think everybody in the building, and they'll all deny this after it comes out, that everybody in the building thinks it's either win this year or they're all gone. I, I think everybody knows in Detroit, the people around the Detroit Patriots are all saying it's either win or go home. I mean, it's, they're going to have to prove they're taking a step because this is what happens when you go radical and you try to become Bill Belichick. And so when you're trying to be Bill Belichick and you're not authentic Bill Belichick, it comes across. It's one thing, you know, like to me, embracing this Patriot way, it just, it just alienates the players even more because then all of a sudden, like, look, we are the Detroit Lions. We have great history here. You know, I think you've got to embrace your past marines fight for marines right embrace your past and make something make the detroit lions don't go back to that look i don't know what he's talking about with the great history with detroit <laughs> thank you i don't know what he's talking about there so let's just like pretend he didn't say that part but absent of that i i think he's spot on with the whole concept of identity i i don't the whole trying to mimic the patriot way thing has been done to death you know, I talked on Mike Valenti's show this week about it a little bit, calling in that the Patriot way wasn't even a thing until they won their third title, and they cut Ty Law, and everyone was like, how can you cut Ty Law? Another year they cut Lawyer Malloy. They actually cut Malloy, I think it was a prior year, 
Because Malloy, they cut, or, yeah, they cut Malloy before the '03 season. He went to Buffalo. The Bills blanked right. them in Week One, and the sky was falling. And they ended up winning the Super Bowl. Right. Yeah. But, right. Exactly. And I think Malloy was only there for that first title in '01. But even after they got rid of Malloy, people were like, "Oh, that's interesting." But no one was like talking about the Patriot way. That was that, when Tom Jackson on ESPN said they've lost the coach has lost his team, and then basic, and then after they were on the field winning the Super Bowl, Chris Berman and Tom Jackson go on to interview Belichick. Jackson sticks his hand out and says, "Congratulations, coach!" And he says, "Fuck you!" And only talks to Berman. Wow, I didn't know. Wow, that. really? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. They hear were that Owen, They were zero two that year, I think. And then, what well, did they win? Twenty three in a row or something? The, the that page? was the 03-04. Yeah, they won all those games in a row. I don't think they were zero two. They were definitely zero one. Did I say zero three? Whatever. Every 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 other year, the Patriots are like. One and three, or like two and two, and everyone, September, September becomes an extended preseason. <laughs> everyone freaks out. Like the Lions dominated them, and the Pats are two and two, and everyone's like, "This is the." It's like the seventh time we've tried to bury Brady and Belichick, yeah. and they always end up. Can, winning can I just games. say I was at that game last year in, in full, of course, Patriots regalia, and after that game, it was really interesting walking out because the Lions fans, the things that I kept hearing over and over again were literally, "You don't understand. This was our Super Bowl. We we just feel like we won the Super Bowl." And all I could say back was, you know what? You flat out kicked our asses. Congratulations. You just beat us to a pulp. You won the game. You, you just flat out knocked us on our ass. Congratulations. And the Lions fans were just so happy. I think we hung a banner for winning that game at Ford <laughs> Field. I think there's a, a Beat New England 2018 banner hanging in the rafters at Ford Field. I've seen Field that right meme, now. yeah. It's very exciting. You know, it, it's so I lost the bundle on that game by the way. <laughs> I, I bet I bet heavy on the Pats. And then the, I was with my buddy, not sitting with them, but we were both at the game. And he was on the on the game money line with me. And the Lions are just like kicking their ass in the first half. And so we're texting each other. And we're like, okay, we're gonna get it back. Patriots second half money line. There's no way. No, they you don't. didn't. You did tell me you didn't do that. <laughs> and then the score got even worse. So I would have bet like my firstborn child that the Pats were going to come out and hammer them. Good and thing then you didn't. The first drive of the second half of that game, the Pats went right down the field and scored a touchdown. And I was like, yeah, take that shit, bookie. And then the rest of the night was just a nightmare. But, but this goes this goes to your other your earlier point, Justin, which is this whole duplicating the Patriot way thing. The Patriots got embarrassed in. They got outplayed in a few games last year, but among them, in Detroit against Matt Patricia, in Tennessee against Mike Vrabel, um, and then, of course, Jacksonville and Pittsburgh and Miami. But the idea is the, trying to duplicate that Patriots way, it helps you beat the Patriots. It doesn't really help you be successful overall. That's a good point. I never even thought of it like that. Hmm. An even better point is that no one talked about the Patriots way until they won three titles and they had some credibility to back it up. Right. And that's where I think Lombardi has a point. It's like you you, you have no leg to stand on. You know, they haven't done anything to, to earn that. You know, if you want to go be Mr. Tough Guy stomping around the field and jumping in I, before his uh, leg injury, Patricia's jumping into to, um, you know, the practices and actually, like, pushing guys around and being all Mr. Intensity. If you want to do that, that's fine, but you don't have the clout to back it up. And these guys, they're professionals. They're alpha males, too. They're not going to buy that from all but maybe, what, two or three guys in the world? And Belichick happens to be one of them. We'll, we'll play the quick uh, second cut of Lombardi and then, and then wrap this. And then the other one is this new coach bias. Whenever a new coach takes over a team, he always brings in players that know his system from what to do. And I think that's why the Lions are, are, are in such a desperate straits because Matt's just trying to be, Matt's just trying to be Bill. 
it, it, you know, pencil in the year, laminated sheet. Just keep Lion fans, keep reminding yourself of that. Pencil in the year, a laminated sheet. Like, what's that pencil going to do for him? Like, I bet you in that locker room in Detroit, they're all saying, hey, if you ain't come from New England, you ain't got no chance. And then he reinforces the bias with the stupidity of, of saying we're going to be the Detroit Patriots. Like, right. seriously. Right. How is, like, if you ask any management expert around the country if this is a smart strategy, they would tell you this is the dumbest thing they ever heard. I think it's spot on. I, I think. Lombardi is uh, – he just nailed it because if you're in training at Applebee's or something <laughs> and, and they're like, we're going to do things the Capitol Grill way. <laughs> That's I, a great analogy. I mean, it's like, uh, okay, okay, buddy. Like, we're, 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 it's Applebee's. Okay, just calm down. We just you know, need to get Lombardi a pop filter for that microphone. As, as a podcast producer, his peas are really popping. We need to get court. you on that. Yeah. I know a guy. <laughs> great. So anyway, I, 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 I don't know, Chris, how you feel about this. I, I mean, you're, you're, you don't fuck with the Lions the way you do maybe the Tigers. Well, I just I expect so little that like I, I, I'm excited that there's a lot of fans who are excited. I just I have no reason to believe they're going to do anything other than let people down. I, I do think this whole the, the idea of the Patriot way is is incredibly silly. The fact that one organization has had. I mean, historical success, obviously, uh, that they're trying to emulate it when they've won, 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 won one playoff game in 60-something years. I, I mean, to me, they, they're, they're kind of putting the cart before the horse here. Like, they need to focus on winning a playoff game before they can, they can get to a point where they're making you know, comparisons or trying to go about things the Patriot way. And last year, I mean, I, from what I barely remember last year, I guess I blocked a lot of it out, but last year was close to a disaster. I mean, from the very beginning, there was a lot that went wrong. And they need to right that ship before they can get talking about anything, you know, talking about the Detroit Patriots or whatever. I mean, that they Stafford's got to play a lot better. Uh, the jury's still very much out on Patricia. I mean, it seemed like at points last year he had almost lost the locker room. I mean, some of that might have been speculation. Who knows? But I I think they'll be better, but they got a long ways to go, and that's really all I can comment on. Like I said, yeah, I, I just I don't I don't put much stake into them just because I expect so little. I've never like I've seen the Detroit Tigers have success. They've come up short, but I've seen them have success. I've never I've never seen anything out of the Lions that has gotten like my hopes up to the point where I've thought, eh, you know, this team could contend for something. So I don't put my heart and soul into it the way I do with the Tigers. I mean, we've seen the Tigers get to the doorstep of a championship twice in our lifetime. Uh, you know, we're and we're relatively young, so yeah. Uh, I mean, exactly. They've been a disappointment, but at least they've been like legitimately viable. I I actually think the Lions have a chance to be good this year. It, this is a this is a league and a sport where we've seen the Lions go two and fourteen and lose eleven of the fourteen games by like less than four points. I mean, that that happened right. one year with Morning Mike. So it's like, man, if they just made one more play in you know half of those games, it's like, okay, I'm not saying you're going to win the Super Bowl, but you go from two and fourteen to like eight and eight. So it, you know, if those things swing the right way, I could honestly see nine and seven, ten and six, which would be a big step up. I I don't think I think this team does have a chance to be good. But that's irrelevant to the fact that this whole Detroit Patriot thing is just, it's annoying. It's presumptuous. I don't think anybody buys it. It's stupid. Nobody buys it. I mean, the slappy fanboys do. The, the best is like when you get the guy in the Detroit Lions avatar on Twitter that's like criticizing your opinion. And it's like, okay, like, thanks. I, I really am going to put a lot of stock into what at Detroit Lions superfan 932 says. <laughs> I, you know, it's like you're, you're self-disqualifying. 
says the guy that's talking Michigan State football surrounded by a palace of Michigan State shit. But uh, anyway. This room is like one big green screen. It's almost creepy. Um, you you got you to gotta look at me a little bit sideways, I think. I did the first time I walked in. Yeah, you've settled in a little bit. I got you uh, right where I want you. So anyway, I liked what Lombardi said. I, you know, I don't have the inside knowledge that he, he's purporting to have about, you know, guys in that organization are saying if they lose this year, they're out, and this Detroit Patriot way is coming off as phony. That's his reporting, but I totally buy it, and I liked what he said. So anyway, let's get to the negative because we always like to end on a low note here on Spiro Avenue. I like how your positive was somebody trashing somebody else. Your positive was kind of a negative. I, th- that's a great point. But what do you expect? You know the state of Detroit sports right now. What do you want me to do? And I also know how you roll. You want, it is how I roll, but this is what these teams have done to me. I mean, when, the last time a team in this city won a playoff series was like seven years ago. Was it? Was it the oh Red Wings? Okay, when they Wait, went to the second round, like six, seven years. Well, ago. Well, the Tigers in 2013 when they beat the A's. Didn't the Wings do it in 2014? Whatever the, okay, it was, it's, it's been at I, least it's been at least six it's years. Been okay, two, it's been too damn long. Let's get yeah. out. Let's get out of the technicalities. It's been a couple months for Boston. Yeah, thanks. A couple weeks, yeah. Yeah, and that's only because they're not playing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, the point is, this whole like that's we'll finish with that on this point. That I'm tired of people, the fanboys in the city. I don't know, and you're friends with some of them, Chris. I hate to say, so am I. God bless you. But the 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 people that are like criticizing me or criticizing Chris or anybody else for being too negative, what the hell do we have to be positive yeah. about? You're delusional. It, the people who are nuts are. The Red Sox fans that are, are bitching about their team. Because it's like, you know what? Go put on one of the 17 DVDs of, the, of your parades, okay? <laughs> like, it's an unearned, um, an unearned level of distress. You have enough to lean on where you can, you can go back and watch highlights of things that have happened like in the last eight months. Detroit doesn't have that. Can I just hate you, hate, make you hate me a little bit more for one second? I don't know if it's possible. In October, we were in Hawaii for my wife's birthday. I watched the Red Sox win the World Series at about 6 p.m. local time, walk down the hallway from my hotel room, and watch the sunset over the ocean. It was the greatest night ever. You know who else was on that beach with you? Every member of the Detroit Tigers. They were, they were on <laughs> No, the they were at the golf course. Were, I was about street. to say that they were playing golf. Yeah, yeah. They were, maybe they were playing golf. They were, doing, they were nowhere near a baseball diamond, <laughs> that's for sure. And no, they hadn't been in a long time. No, but you, I mean, you make that point, and it's like, I, dude, I would love to be Mr. Positive. Like, I, I really would. I would love to be able to, like, make every post game and be like, you know what? Things are getting better. Uh, you know, I, I, I like the direction the team is going. I don't blindly just pick up, you know, my phone or, or a camera and be like, man, I can't, I just can't wait talk about how terrible things are but if things are terrible i'm not going to ignore it like if like i said i've I've talked plenty about you know good things that are going on in sports usually in the last several years all it's been is kind of michigan basketball but still like i i would love to to be the guy who's rah-rah about the tigers but i i don't see it and i think i don't blame any and that's why i can't get too mad at those people who are you know overly positive like yeah all right you can in, you can live, you can live in your, you know, semi-delusional world and, and think this, but at the end of the day, like, I'm sorry, like, it's not, it's not going to turn out, it's not going to go the way you think. What about sports being an escape for people, though? Like, sometimes, even if the teams are bad, maybe things are just not going well in your personal life, and you just need to, a Tiger's home run to lift your spirits for five minutes. For well, you're not going to see one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I do, I do get that, though. And, and look, at the end of the day, like, I do still enjoy like ragging on them like i enjoy this I, as terrible as they are as much as i wish they were good like if i didn't enjoy 
to a certain extent watching how terrible they were or, or interacting with people about it, I wouldn't do it. So, I mean, it is an escape to a certain extent, but I just I, I just wish it was more of one. I it's wish, the reverse pen chase. It really is, yeah, yeah. Like we, we talked, like this is this has gotten to a point. It's not boring anymore with how bad they are. I mean, it, because it's they're getting to levels that, like we talked about with O three and with with the expansion Mets. Like it's it's interesting in their awfulness. The chase for one twenty is like the most exciting thing that's happened in half a decade in Detroit. So I'm all yeah. for it. So anyway, things I don't like. I can't believe that was the things I like segment. We just bitched for twenty minutes. The, the things I don't like segment you know i i thought the story with jim harbaugh's comments about urban meyer and uh the whole controversy has followed him wherever he goes thing uh it was overblown let's start we'll play the audio jim harbaugh's joining uh tim kawakawi or kawakuzi from the athletic i I butchered the name he's on his podcast uh san francisco writer uh Harbaugh's on there talking about Ohio State and the departed Urban Meyer. What's your reaction when Urban Meyer retired, Jim? Uh, obviously a, a, a big-time rival, big-time uh, achiever there at Ohio State. Yeah, he's Urban Meyer's had a uh, winning record, uh, really phenomenal record everywhere he's been, but also controversy follows everywhere he's been. Okay, dumb comment. I, I, I do think it's stupid. Doesn't mean it's inaccurate. Okay, like you, you can always be like technically correct, and it's not the right thing to say or do. Like that, that I love that that Michigan fan argument that's been going around the last seven eight days about oh he didn't say anything that's wrong. Like it technically true. Look what happened at Florida. Look what happened at Utah. Look what happened at Columbus. I, like, I, I'm a Michigan fan, not certainly level that Chris is, but I am a Michigan fan, and it just comes off as sour grapes. Especially listening to it in that context, there, uh, like I. Yeah, you're right. And that's why I kind of went both ways with that argument. Like, yes, of course, what he said was factually true, obviously. Like, I, you, you'd be, uh, you have to be a moron to deny that. But given the state of the rivalry and given the state of the, of the way things have gone, especially with his rivalry, not just with Ohio State, but with Urban Meyer, which is now concluded, it, yeah, it comes across as sour grapes, maybe, you know, tone deaf, bitter. I, 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 if he wants, no one's, he's not going to change. So, the, and this is, you know, it's Harbaugh creating headlines again. I I don't like the college football offseason because of crap like this. It just uh, like this is a, a very it's something that people have made a much bigger deal out of. You know, it's a dumb comment. I I wish, you know, they'd be a little bit more football focused, but it it's whatever. Perfect segue, Chris. Thank you. Now I don't even have to set up for the second audio clip. So <laughs> a few days after that interview, this controversy's starting to blow over a little bit. And Jim Harbaugh is at Big 10 Media Day. He eventually, after some questions about the quarterback situation, is asked about his prior comments that we just played for you about Urban Meyer. And this is where it just gets ridiculous. There has been a reaction. I'll ask you one more question about the reaction. Urban Meyer's daughter on social media wrote, maybe this is a deflection strategy. Throw a little mud to avoid answering why you always lost. That's a member of Urban Meyer's family. Is this a deflection strategy because you're 0-4 against Ohio State, or is it just something you said? Uh, it was it was me saying what I think. Okay, I just obviously it's become a story. It's become a story. You understand that, that yeah. there's been a great reaction to it. You've asked your question. I've yeah. answered it. Okay. So, 
Okay. <laughs> We're not even beginning with that. I actually love Jim Harbaugh. I think he's endlessly entertaining. I'm not one of the Spartan fans that like hate that guy. He's just he's a constant source of entertainment for better or for worse. And I just like interesting in sports. Like this is a diversion from real life crap. And I like people that are entertaining. So on that note, I do like Jim Harbaugh. But this is – we can officially say that the, the the landscape now in American sports is so bored this time of year. Yeah. Which is what you were saying, Chris. The fact that we are going to Urban Meyer's daughter's Twitter account for bulletin board material is off the deep end. And it's it's a ridiculous question to ask just from a journalist's perspective. And, and I, I give Harbaugh credit that time. Like he – I mean, he knew the, the guy was, you know, trying to headline grab, and he gave he gave really the bare minimum answer that I think was fair. He's like, I said what I thought, and, you know, not didn't really stir up any controversy. I mean, people will try to create some, but yeah, it's people are hungry for football right now, and it's unless you're somebody like me who's just a diehard baseball guy, who then you're probably pretty bored at this time of year, and people <laughs> are are hungry for any sort of headline that they can get, even if it's something as silly as. Uh, the daughter of a now former football coach tweeting something. <laughs> not even a current coach. And not even, you know, it's not even like, I think you brought this up in the air. She's an adult. It's not like it was a, it was a kid tweeting this either. So it was, yeah, it's 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 kind of nonsense. I give Harbaugh credit for, you know, not taking the bait. There. Well, and that's what I don't like. And, I, and Jag and I were talking in, in pre-show meeting about this, and he was saying, oh, you're going to make a big deal about the, the stupid Harbaugh comment. Like, it's so overdone. And no, no, no. I do think it was a dumb comment, but what I don't like is the extent that this has been played out. So the reporter is just one example of how insane it got, but everybody all over social media making this to be the biggest thing ever. It's just like we're so bored, and it just speaks to how boring the summer is, and people do go fishing for any type of content whatsoever. I don't know if you saw the whole – Devin Bush at midfield at Spartan Stadium against the the clothesline of Michigan State players. You know? a, a story that was old. I think fifteen minutes after it happened. Thank you. That that was that I, was old before kickoff of that game. I, I was about to say, I was bored by that shit before halftime. Exactly. So I was yeah. already bored, and, and somehow that got resuscitated. So what I don't like is the ridiculousness with college sports. I think college sports are awesome, but the whole Michigan Michigan State stuff. Like my best friend. Best man of my wedding is a Michigan guy. Like, uh, some of my other closest friends are Michigan guys. I'm sitting across from a big Michigan fan and Kitty Corner from a kind of tag along asterisk Michigan fan. You in can jail. call me a Walmart Wolverine. I'll own it. That's actually too nice. You're like a you're like a Walmart Wolverine that only shows up like on on Black Friday. Like you, don't, you don't, <laughs> like, so you're just like you're actually a level below. The typical Walmart. Uh, for what it's worth, I did like Michigan before I moved here in 2011. I've always been a Michigan oh, fan. Oh, well, okay. Life. I didn't know that. I thought you just moved here and you're like, oh, blues, a pretty color. And, and you know, started rooting for them. That's where no, I. No, I've always liked, my dad always okay. liked Michigan. I always liked Michigan. My high school colors were blue and gold, and it was Malden High School. We had a big block M. Like it, okay, it okay. Well, there's a little more backstory. There's connection there. That's, that's, fa- that's fair then. And Tom Brady. Uh, well, okay. That's cemented. That's actually, that's actually the best argument. No, actually, I'll, actually I'll, I'll, real quick, I'll tell you what cemented it. I have an ex-girlfriend from outside Columbus who's a huge Ohio State fan, and my opinion of her further cemented my fandom of Michigan. I could do an entire show on the Tom Brady Michigan thing, how like they try to claim him as like you know, oh, he's a Michigan guy. The guy didn't even step foot on that campus for like nine years after he graduated because of the way he was treated by the fan base and the administration there. He had a huge grudge. It took years. To, Still to a men- big fan of Mr. Spots, though. 
in Ann Arbor. The what now? Chris, Mr. Spots? The wing place in Ann Arbor? I don't know. I'm from Lansing, dude, so I don't know. Yeah. He's, he's the, I don't know what that, I don't know. There, there's, uh, My dad went to Michigan. Mr. Spots, Mr. Spots is a wing place in Ann Arbor. It is the best wings in the state of Michigan, if you ever go down there. Okay. And there's Tom Brady stuff all over the walls. He ate in there all the time. And when they came here to play the Lions on Thanksgiving, he bought this massive feast the night before for his entire offensive line of wings from this place, Mr. Spots. And it's the best wings maybe I've ever had. And I went to school in upstate New York. All right, road trip. Let's go. Yeah, I was about um, to say. I'm down for that and beat up sucks but yep, <laughs> we can all agree on that i could do i could do an entire show on the drew henson tom brady thing i was at games where tom brady was booed on and off the field like when he would you know during a tv timeout he'd go back out there and the fans are just irate that it's not henson i he's out there to that. save the team I, yeah, I understand that everyone liked Drew Henson. He was the hotshot guy. I don't blame them for in that moment wanting Drew Henson. I would have been one of them too. I would have been like, oh, yeah, the number one local kid from Brighton. Got you. I get that. I, I actually defended it at the time. But you can't, like, like if you want to talk about another Patriot coming from this state, if Brian Hoyer, <laughs> whom I despised during his Michigan State tenure, like went on to become the greatest quarterback in NFL history out of nowhere, and he too was drafted, I think, in the sixth or seventh round like Brady. I'm not saying I would hate him forever. I would be like, oh, shit, Brian Hoyer, cool. But I would not be going around with a Brian Hoyer Michigan State jersey and being like, yeah, Spartan, bred and born. This is an entire other episode, Justin. It is, and I'll finish there. I'm just saying have a little bit of like humility and just like acknowledge that you guys were really mean to the guy <laughs> so much that he, he wanted nothing to do with you for a decade after he left. I mean, the proof's in the pudding. The guy didn't come. They were trying to get him to, to flip the coin before the game, and he refused for years. He's got a lot of bad blood there that that's been healed since, but it took a decade plus to get those those you know fences mended. So let's not let's take it easy with the you know Tom Brady fandom. Uh, years and years too late. So anyway, the college scene is a nightmare. Uh, I'm glad the actual games are starting because we will have a reprieve from the nonsense. We won't have to hear about Devin Bush like again. We won't have to. Oh, hear. You know we will, though. You know that's going to be the first thing they they show when they do the broadcast this year. Well, that's fine because it's in the lead up to the that's game. That's true. Yeah, and, and it's, it's in context. It's yeah. in context for the situation. It's not like out of nowhere. So I'm fine with that. Talk about everything. Talk about you know Jalen Watts, Jackson. Mm-hmm. Talk about Braylon Edwards. You know, in overtime. That's fine. Talk about all that it, rivalry week. I've always said the Michigan Michigan State stuff in terms of football will leave basketball out of it. The week of that game, like the week lead up to that game. There's no holds barred. You can say I, Michigan fans should talk all the shit they want. Spartan fans should talk all the shit they want. But like these people that live, breathe, and, and die with everything Michigan or Michigan State does like all year long, you're a loser. Like Enjoy them losing on Saturday. By all means, I do it. But I'm not talking about Michigan like on September 2nd on a Tuesday when we don't play them for a month. It's just it's stupid. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad football's almost here. I'm even more glad that Chris Castellani joined me in studio tonight. It's good to have you. Thank you, man. You are in cartoon form on my wall. Yes. And you are now here in the flesh. It was a pleasure. I hope I didn't keep you too long. I know you have a hot date later tonight. Oh, yeah, of course. So (laughs) it was a pleasure. No, it was a blast, man. I appreciate you having me. You are welcome at any time. And uh, thank you to Jag in Detroit, my producer, and the guy that keeps this at least somewhat on the rails at all times. It's good to be back. Thank you all for listening to the Spiro Avenue podcast, and we will talk to you again very soon. Thank you for listening.